Good morning, church family. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with us to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, as we return back to this text of Scripture and continue to make our way through this great and glorious revelation of God to Himself. If you're visiting with us this morning, let me also add my words of welcome to you today. We're grateful for your presence with us It is our habit here at Woodlawn to take books of the Bible and to preach through those books of the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, for we believe that God has equally spoken to us through His Word, and the Old Testament is as much as the Word of God as the New Testament is. The words of Jesus are as much as the words of God as the prophet Isaiah. We have been on a series through Christmas, and then a series of individual sermons at the beginning of this year, and now back to the book of Exodus, here in Exodus chapter 20. Written more than 3,500 years ago, the Ten Commandments remain one of the most cherished and despised images of Christianity. Cherished in that they have served as the founding law principles upon which numerous countries' law codes have been constructed, despised, and that the world hates the Word of God. The two great rulers of the medieval world, medieval Europe, Charlemagne of the Franks and Alfred the Great of England, both established legal systems based upon the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments have had significant uh, effects upon the Western world. One historian noted, quote, no other document has had such a great influence on Western culture than that of the Ten Commandments, end quote. We see this particularly in our own culture. In 1636, the General Court of Massachusetts argued that the laws of the colony be, quote, agreeable to the Word of God, end quote. Years later, the President of the United States, John Adams, would write these words, quote, as much as I love, esteem, and admire the Greeks, I believe the Hebrews have done more to enlighten and civilize the world. Moses did more than all of their legislators and philosophers, end quote. The prominence of the Ten Commandments upon the legal system of our, own co- of our own country can be seen as they are prominently displayed in various locations in the Supreme Court of the United States. They are displayed at the center of the sculpture over the east portico of the building, inside the courtroom, as well as being engraved over the chair of the Chief Justice and on the bronze doors of the court. Our legal system is clearly declaring God's law stands as a foundation upon which our laws have been constructed. We find ourselves now here in Exodus chapter 20, 
The book of Exodus is divided into two larger sections, the first section being Exodus chapter 1 through Exodus chapter 19, and we've seen that journey. It began with this language that we see flowing from creation. In creation, the Lord said to Adam and to Eve, be fruitful and multiply. We get to the end of the narrative in Exodus, and it would seem that God's promise to his people to be fruitful and multiply, it seems as though it's come to a screeching halt. Joseph is in prison, finds himself down in Egypt, and dies. They're the people of God in Egypt, away from any sense of reality of of what God has promised for them. And then we hear these words beginning the narrative in the book of Exodus. The children of Egypt are, the children of Israel are down in Egypt, and guess what they've been doing? They have been fruitful and are multiplying. Any sense of hopelessness that the promise of God back to creation intended for his people have come to a screeching halt are quickly overcome when we recognize God's promises to his people are continuing. And you'll remember the narrative. God calls Moses. He wants Moses to be the redeemer for his people. He's the mediator between God and and God's people. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, and you know the story. Pharaoh doesn't let the people go. It takes a number of communications between Moses and Pharaoh. and, And finally, after the death of all of these firstborn, both humans and animals, Pharaoh assents to letting the children of Israel go, but no longer, no sooner had the children of Israel began to make their their way out of Egypt than Pharaoh sent his army after them in the greatest plague to hit the nation of Israel. The nation of Egypt is seen in the crossing of the Red Sea. There, the army of Egypt died. And now we've been in this journey up through chapter 19 of seeing the nation of Israel in the Sinai Peninsula as they are indeed making their way toward the Promised Land. And hear these words from Exodus chapter 19. Look with me what God says to the nation of Israel beginning in verse 3. While Moses has gone up on the mountain to God, the Lord called out, to him on the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. God has brought the nation of Israel to Sinai to make a covenant with them, to formalize his relationship with them, that he would be their God and they would be his people. And how do the nation of Israel respond? How does Israel respond? Listen at Israel's response. 
and all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. A right response to God on behalf of God's people. And then we come to this second half of the book of Exodus. Exodus 20, the Exodus chapter 40, is going to define for you and me this covenant relationship between God and his people. And we're going to see that God's intended purpose was that his presence might be made known among his people, and yet Israel so quickly fails to do what they promised God they would do. Israel is like the American culture. January 1, we make our pledges of all the New Year's resolutions we will do. I will work out at the gym six days a week. I will stop eating ice cream. I'm going to give up sodas. That works until January 2nd rolls around. This is what Israel will see. Israel pledges, Lord, yes, we'll do it. Moses can't even make his way up to commune with the Lord to receive the Ten Commandments before the nation of Israel finds themselves at the foot of that mountain already bowing down, forsaking the God that they've made a pledge to. They're not obeying God. They're forsaking God. But here in Exodus chapter 20, the seminal passage of Scripture that will serve as a guide for God's relationship with His people. The Ten Commandments occur twice in their full form in the Old Testament, once here in Exodus chapter 20, and then again in Deuteronomy chapter 5 toward the end of Israel's journey to the promised land. Here in Exodus chapter 20, God is giving these stipulations to his people. He's using the giving of these Ten Commandments to say, here are the parameters of my covenant relationship with you. Occurring in mostly the same form with a few minor Changes in Deuteronomy chapter 5, though, is a completely different setting. Here, the children of Israel have found themselves on the plains of Moab. And what is God doing through Moses on the plains of Moab in the restating of these Ten Commandments again? God is saying to the nation of Israel, be reminded of these truths. And we're going to see this journey, friends. How often do you and I like the nation of Israel, need to be reminded of God's words. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5 just real quickly and note, note twice how the text of Scripture shows us a few of the minor differences in the recounting of these two giving of the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 12, and then again verse 16. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. You hear that language of reminder. As the Lord God did what? 
commanded you. Look at verse 16. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that your Lord God is giving you. A change in the giving of this commandment here as opposed to Exodus is as the Lord your God commanded you. Deuteronomy is reminding the nation of Israel that they were indeed slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Now, you and I affectionately call these commandments 10 commandments. But you might be surprised to learn this morning that nowhere in the Hebrew Bible does the Hebrew Bible refer to the giving of these 10 commandments as the 10 commandments. Instead, the Hebrew Bible will refer to these 10 commandments in a few different ways. They are literally, in terms of the Hebrew, given to us as the 10 words. The 10 words of God. Look with me in Exodus chapter 34, verse 28, for example. Exodus 34, verse 28. So he was there with with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant. What does your English Bible say? The Ten Commandments, but in Hebrew, it's the plural form of dabar, dabarim, the Ten Words. The Ten Words. Not only does a Hebrew Bible refer to the Ten Commandments as the Ten Words, it also uses the word Torah. We know this word Torah. We tend to think of this word Torah as the law. But the Hebrew Bible uses Torah as a reference to the Ten Commandments. Look in Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24 verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the Torah, with the law and the commandment, which I've written for their instructions. You might remember the book of Habakkuk as Habakkuk is crying out on behalf of the nation of Israel concerning all of the difficulty they've experienced and Habakkuk cries out and says oh Lord how long shall I cry to you violence and you will not hear how long shall I say to you um, evil pervades us and you shall not respond and then he goes on and says to the Lord in verse 4 of chapter 1 the Torah is paralyzed now hear what Habakkuk is saying if the law functioned as the covenant relationship between God and man, in other words, the law functioned as God's communication to his people of, of what they should do. In other words, the law of God was, was God's speech that formed his people. Hear what Habakkuk is saying when he says, the Torah, the commandments are paralyzed. He's saying, God, it's as though your word that formed your people and brought us together are of no effect. They're useless. The Hebrew Bible refers to the commandments as the, the words, the ten words of God. It refers to it as the Torah. But in narrative 
literature, we also see the use of these Ten Commandments as they are given. And in that we see from the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. We read these words, or in English we get this word, Decalogue. How many of you have heard, heard the Ten Commandments referred to as the Decalogue? It comes from the Septuagint, which is the combining of two Greek words, deca, ten, and logoi, is a plural form of word, logos. You know the word logos, word. Hence, we get the framing Decalogue. And you'll see this, for example, at the dedication of the temple and the Septuagint in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 6. The Ten Commandments serve in a prominent way throughout the totality of the Hebrew Bible. Psalm 50 and Psalm 81, for example. Hosea. Hosea chapter 4, Hosea recounts not the totality of the Ten Commandments for us, but in Hosea chapter 4, Hosea is giving these statements of judgment against the nation of Israel. And what is the basis upon which Hosea can declare to the nation of Israel they've sinned? He goes back to the law. He goes back to the ten words. He goes back to the, to the Torah, and he says, you have failed at these things. You've killed. You've stolen. You've not honored your parents. Not only do the Ten Commandments appear in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, these Ten Commandments also appear in the New Testament. The importance of the Ten Commandments upon the New Testament and the New Covenant community of faith is best seen in the words of Jesus. We heard just a few weeks ago that sermon from Nathan in Matthew chapter 5 as he started the Sermon on the Mount for us, and Jesus will continue in this Sermon on the Mount and, and stating some of these Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Recounted again in Matthew chapter 19. What is Jesus doing for the New Covenant community of faith? He is still saying that the heart of what has been communicated through the giving of these Ten Commandments still have an effect upon the new covenant people of God. We are not exempt from obedience to the law. Paul references the Ten Commandments. James in chapter 2 references the Ten Commandments. And Paul will tell us in Romans chapter 7, in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, Paul tells us that it was the 10th commandment that convicted him that he was a what? A sinner. The law still pressing in upon the new covenant people, convicting them of their need of God's marvelous grace. How do we divide these Ten Commandments? I've seen Miss Janet on a number of occasions. Miss Janet, you've been teaching children Sunday school for 36 years. And several years ago at our beach club, Miss Janet was teaching the students the Ten Commandments, and she kind of had these uh, jingles with her fingers and how to teach these Ten Commandments. And uh, Miss Janet, won't you show us, show the church? Now, everybody, after church today, you're going to have a test. 
to see how well you followed Miss Janet's teaching you of the Ten Commandments, okay? Give them to us, Miss Janet. Thank you, Miss Janet. How about that? Now, notice Miss Janet gave us the Ten Commandments in a certain form. How many of you think Miss Janet gave us that form in the correct way? None of you? Aha. It's interesting, how do we understand the breakdown of the Ten Commandments? In church history, there have been two prominent reflections of the Ten Commandments. The Catholic tradition, and carried over from the Catholic tradition into the Lutheran tradition, the Catholics and the Lutherans divide the Ten Commandments in a different way. Miss Janet said to us, the first commandment is, no other gods before me, right? Number two, don't don't carve out, don't make. In the Catholic and the Lutheran tradition, as you and I understand commandment number one and number two, are combined. Not having another god and bowing down to that god in worship are combined. But the Tenth Commandment and the Catholic and Lutheran tradition are split into two. In the Tenth Commandment, we hear the words of not coveting your neighbor's wife, and then we get you should also not covet, for example, your neighbor's donkey or your neighbor's ox or your neighbor's male or female servants. And in the Catholic and Lutheran tradition, they separate that Tenth Commandment into two, such that the Ninth Commandment is, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. 
And the 10th commandment would be, you shall not covet your neighbor's donkey and ox and house and male and female servants and so forth and so on. So throughout history, throughout church history, there has been a division in how we understand the recounting of these to uh, of these of these ten commandments but miss miss uh, janet we are baptists and we follow the protestant tradition so we'll stay with the way you gave it we'll stay with the way that you gave it to us no need to learn uh, different uh, ways with your with your fingers how do we understand these ten commandments theologically what is god doing in the giving of these ten commandments for us The Ten Commandments, first and foremost, are functioning as a foundational doctrine that will, a document that will serve as a guide for the covenant relationship between God and His people. The Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, the Torah, therefore, is God's words to us that describe for you and for me how we are to rightly live in relationship with God. One theologian noted, quote, the Decalogue provided Israel with concrete proof of God's immutable commitment to them and a constant reminder of their commitment to Him. You remember shortly after the giving of these Ten Commandments, The Ten Commandments would be placed in the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant was stored where? The Holy of Holies. A constant reminder to the nation of Israel, ultimately in what God had called them to be, a holy people who walk in obedience to God. As a document that describes the covenant relationship with God, we understand this to be covenant language for a couple of reasons. Number one, note how the Ten Commandments begin for us in Exodus chapter 20. And who spoke? And God spoke all these words. And what did God say? I am The Lord your God. I am Yahweh. We see from the very beginning that God is identifying exactly who He is. God identifies Himself by the giving of His name, and it gives us a rational basis upon which the Ten Commandments are based. So the very beginning, we see this idea of covenant in that God is clearly identifying who He is. But another form that shows us this is covenant is the fact that this covenant is going to give us language that communicates the history of God's relationship with his people. Notice verse 2, I am the Lord your God, and what has God done for the people? I have brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is identifying his relationship with his people. God is reminding them what he has done. God is showing us that this covenant relationship between God and his people is founded upon the idea of grace. God has extended to his people 
an act of grace by giving them something they did not deserve. And what is that something that God has provided, friends? Don't miss this language. This language plays a prominent role in the entirety of the Pentateuch, in the entirety of the first five books of the Bible, not only in the Pentateuch, but throughout the rest of the Old Testament, both in the uh, Psalms and in the Prophets. God is ultimately saying not only who He is, I am Yahweh, He is also defining the very foundational characteristic of who he is. He is a redeeming God. And this is why we'll get later into the law code, for example, in Leviticus chapter 11. As God has given to his people all of these laws that they are to follow, following the communication of the laws of the food that they are allowed to eat, we hear the words in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and verse 45, you shall be holy for I am holy for I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What is God wanting us to know about him? He is a redeeming God. And friends, this same God who has been in the business of redeeming people in the Old Testament is the same God that we see in the New Testament redeeming his people. And the same truth that applies here in Exodus chapter 20 in the giving of this covenant relationship also is true for those who are part of the new covenant community of faith. We have a God who has still spoken to us and given to us his law and his word and his rules that serve as a guide for how we are to walk in relationship with him. But he is also a God who is still redeeming people. How do we know Jesus is God, friends? Because he talks like the God of the Old Testament. And he acts like the God of the Old Testament. He gives us his word, and he redeems us with his actions. The foundation for why Israel must walk in covenant community with God, covenant faithfulness with God, is the same foundation upon which you and I, the same basis that's calling you and me to walk in faithfulness to God. He's given us his word, and he has saved us. The first idea or note of covenant is the fact that God has clearly communicated himself to us. The second idea of this being covenant is the fact that God has articulated his history, his relationship with his people. But thirdly, is the fact that he's given his stipulations to his people. And we hear those stipulations in these words that you and I affectionately call the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 30, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to those 
showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but on the Sabbath, seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is with you within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Twelve, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that your Lord is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servants or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your neighbor's. The third thing that communicates what God is doing in this section of text and given us covenant relationship is that he has clearly articulated what the stipulations of this relationship between himself and his people are to be. Ultimately, as one theologian noted, quote, Israel was not called primarily to conformity to a code of conduct, but to a relationship with their gracious Redeemer. See, friends, this is what God is doing here. He's not giving us a, a, a set of rules that say, hey, I want to shackle you. I want to, I want to put you in handcuffs. I, I don't want you to have any fun in life. I want you to walk around as a bunch of, of Eeyores who seem to lack any sense of joy because gracious, we just can't do what the world does. God is not giving us a list primarily stipulations. God has given to you and me a relationship. And if we want to walk in right relationship with God, this is what God is expecting of us. But notice these stipulations. Upon how many tablets were these stipulations written? You remember? Two. Two tablets. Anybody know what was written on, on the two tablets? In other words, what commandments were written on one and what commandments were written on the other? Anybody know? Five and five. Unfortunately, Dana Truitt is not here this morning. She was there when Moses got it. She could have told us. <laughs> Maybe five and five. How do we know? Why not six and four? Well, let me just give you a guess, and my guess is as good as any other theologians that's given a guess in terms of how many might be written on each side. Look with, back, back with me in your Bibles. Uh, Miss Janet told us that according to the Protestant tradition, that the fifth commandment was to do what? Honor your father and your mother. I'd like to submit to you this morning that on the two tablets, Scott are indeed five and five, 
And I'd like to make an argument for why they're five and five. Notice each of the first five commandments directly and specifically mentions Yahweh's name. In the giving of the first five commandments, we see the covenant name of God given Yahweh, or in your English Bibles, Lord with all capitals. So it would seem, as we have kind of come to understand the Ten Commandments, that there are two sections of these Ten Commandments, a section that speaks of a vertical relationship and a section that speaks of a horizontal relationship. And those that speak of a horizontal relationship are the first five, all of which mention the name of Yahweh himself. So notice verse 4. You shall not, sorry, verse, verse 2 and 3 are, uh, in your English Bibles, are kind of seen as the giving of this, of this first commandment. I am the Lord your God. Therefore, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. The first mention of Yahweh. Commandment number 1. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. And, and, and notice verse five, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Commandment number two. Verse seven, commandment number three, you shall not take the name of who? The Lord your God in vain. Number four, on remembering the Sabbath day. Why should we do this? Look at the end of verse four. Therefore, the Lord... Bless the Sabbath and made it holy. And look at number five, verse 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that who? The Lord your God has given you. And then the following five commandments do not have the divine name Lord stamped upon them. The first five, communicating our relationship before God And the last five, communicating our relationship with one another. And now let's make a quick application to how the Ten Commandments are seen in the life of the church. We noted from chapter 20, verse 2, that one of the ways we can know this is covenant relationship is by the stipulation that God has redeemed a people. He's communicated his history, right? See, friends, notice what God is doing in redemption for you and me. God is, first and foremost, redeeming us to whom? Himself. But God's redemption is not only redemption to Him, it's also redemption to one another. And this is why it becomes problematic, friends, for people to claim that they have been redeemed to God when they show no care or concern with being redeemed to God's people. In other words, of participating with God's people. When God redeems us, he places us in right relationship with himself and in right relationship with one another. But perhaps no one has communicated the truths of the Ten Commandments better than Christ Himself. Would you look with me in closing this morning to Matthew chapter 22? Matthew chapter 22. 
verses 36 through 40. You remember the Pharisees thought that they were going to trap Jesus. They thought they had him. And one of them, a lawyer, comes to Jesus, and in verse 36, Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, this lawyer is going to ask Jesus a question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What does Jesus do for us? He takes a statement from Deuteronomy. He takes a statement from Leviticus chapter 19. And he places them together to show us that the greatest way for you and me to walk in obedience to this covenant that he's given us is to love God and to love one another. So I ask you this morning, friends, how are you loving God? How is your commitment to God? What does your devotion to God look like? Just how committed are you to God? What does your love for your fellow neighbor look like? Are you willing to sacrifice from the blessings that God has given you to serve another? Are you willing to forgive when that person in the life of the church makes you angry? Is your first response to say, I'm leaving this church and going to another? Or is your first response to say, I forgive you? What's your devotion like to God's people? As one theologian said, quote, to love in such context does not refer primarily to emotional attachment, but rather to active loyalty. Are you loyal to God and His people? Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have given to us Your Word. And through the giving of that Word, Lord, You have clearly articulated and revealed Yourself to us. You've shown us, Lord, what it means to live in right relationship to You and in right relationship with one another. We ask You by your spirit this morning, that you would take the truths that we've seen this morning in this text of Scripture, and that you would remind us that we too are in covenant relationship with you, God, and that the way we communicate that covenant relationship is by our obedience to your word. And so we ask that you, Spirit, would help us walk as faithful men and women 
before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and